Welcome everyone to Our Town Ballarat, a weekly podcast talking all things tourism and hospitality in our town of Ballarat. My name is Ian Gunn and each week I'm going to be chatting with some of the characters and the personalities that make up our visitor economy here in Ballarat and we're going to hear their stories. How and where things started for them, the path they've taken that's led them this far, maybe some tips and advice for people that are starting out or thinking about getting into the industry and of course I'm going to ask them about their favourite things to do here in Ballarat. They're the things that make Ballarat great. This week we're fortunate to have the CEO of Ballarat Regional Tourism, Natalie O'Brien, join us to talk about the state of the visitor economy in the current COVID crisis. Natalie was born into the hospitality industry and from humble beginnings helping at her grandmother's pub in Nathalia through to her 14 years as CEO of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, she's had some wonderful experiences to share with us this week. It'll also be really interesting to hear her thoughts on the current crisis and the pathway to rebuild for regional centres such as Ballarat. We're really fortunate to have someone of Natalie's experience to guide us through that journey. So sit back, relax and let's hear Natalie's story. Natalie O'Brien, welcome to My Town Ballarat. Wonderful. Thank you for having me here. Natalie, you're the CEO of Ballarat Regional Tourism. A long, long history and career in tourism and hospitality. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But I'd be curious to understand, where did all this start for you? So hospitality, I think, is in my blood. And uh, I come from four generations of hoteliers. And uh, it was my grandmother, actually, who... uh, was brought up in a big family in a hotel in Nathalia. It was called the Bridge Hotel. Nathalia, that's in regional Victoria? Correct, yeah. yeah. So they were graziers and they also had a hotel. And um, I guess my grandmother found herself as a widow with five young children and she was actually running the hotels. So I feel like I um, grew up around hotels, whether it was running around the bar or sitting on the bar, Uh, stacking Tic Tacs and Samboy crisps or little jobs around the hotel. So it was very much part of my life. Born born into it. And you ended up down in Geelong somehow, is that right? That's right. So um, the hotel that's still in my family now is called the Sawyer's Arms or Clatworthy's, which was my grandmother's family name. Mm. And she was known as Mrs. Clash. And everyone called her Mrs. Clash. And um, my cousin runs the hotel now. It's across the road from the Geelong football grounds. So we remember sort of playing netball across the road at the pub, going into the ground at three quarter time because it was free to get in Mm. and running back to the pub because we were on toasted sandwich and pie warming duty. And would have been a a rush at half time, I'm guessing. Absolutely, to head back. So um, definitely in the blood. So I know you're a Geelong person and I understand you've got a passion for the Geelong cats. We don't really need to go into that. But uh, you did your schooling in Geelong? Yes. So um, my mum and her sisters went to Sacred Heart in Geelong. And in tradition, um, my sisters and I went to Sacred Heart. How many sisters? So I have two sisters and Mm -hmm. one brother. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it really wasn't until I went to university. And one of the things that mum said was, please don't get into hospitality. Um, She had grown up in and around it and said, there must be a better career for my children. Now, for those listeners out there that would understand if they're in the hospitality industry, that's not an uncommon thing for parents to say, maybe go on and do something else. So you did your schooling at Sacred Heart, a good student. I think a pretty average student, but loved my friends Mm. and loved being at school. Mm -hmm. And um, I think um, it's really by people skills that um, really got me through school. And I went on to study a Bachelor of Business at Victoria University. And uh, I said to my parents, I'll I'll steer clear of hospitality, but I will um, go into the tourism sector. So I actually majored in economics and tourism. And uh, I guess kind of satisfied by parents that I was kind of not going to be working in a pub seven days a week. So you finished your degree. You, you must have done well enough at school. You've got to Victoria University, finished your degree. What was the first job you had when you left university? So my first job, and I will never, ever forget this, was uh, we had one of those sandwich year where you had to go out for a year and practice. And my job, and this is the early 90s, Ian, was to set up a visitor information and at the time it was literally a, a trestle table in the CBD, one in Burke Street Mall and one at the city square. Yes. And I used other students that were the year behind me to actually man these stands. And in those days, and this is t- tells you how long I've been around, the only brochures that we had were Sovereign Hill, Phillip Island and a couple of day tour companies and a phone book. Forgive me, who are you doing this for? The university study or...? That's right. So it was a placement for university and it was for the city of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, there was no such thing as visitor services in the early 90s. Mm. And uh, that was my first role. And I do remember we had this little kind of... We upgraded from the trestle table to a little information booth. And uh, I remember having to face up on Saturday mornings with my friends driving past out of... Uh, having wonderful nights out on the town and me walking around with one of those supermarket trolleys full of brochures thinking what a glamorous life I have in the tourism industry. And that was for the city of Melbourne who you subsequently went on. Was that your first job out of university? So just tell me, did that um, placement lead to your role with the city of Melbourne? It did. It was... I, I. I did the 12 month placement at the City of Melbourne and I never went back to university full time. I finished the final year Mm. over two years. Isn't that interesting? So I suppose the lesson from that for anyone listening might be you just never know. You get an opportunity to do a placement and that leads on to uh, what's become a long career, but it leads on to an immediate role. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I've had several examples like that one of the roles that I had when I was at the city of Melbourne was going down to station pier Mm -hmm. to meet the cruise ships and again we're talking the 90s so it wasn't a very pleasant place you might have to sort of move on a couple of fishermen or a a drunk left over from Mm -hmm. the night before and my job and it wasn't again particularly glamorous I had to ring channel control about 3 a.m in the morning and find out exactly what time the ship was going to dock and I would go down with the Lord Mayor oh sorry the town crier and his wife with brochures to meet the cruise ships and so I did that for about three seasons and from there I was in a meeting with Tourism Victoria which was always my absolute dream job and was talking about uh, what we had done down there 
and I ended up moving into the infrastructure and investment area of tourism, working on economic impacts of cruise shipping for Victoria. And in the 90s, it became uh, a, a growth area. We worked with New Zealand, uh, Tasmania, and we had this cruising the Southern Cross, and we saw this real increase in cruise ships to the Victoria. So I, I think that you know can often happen. So Natalie, that must have been your dream job getting into tourism, Victoria, the peak industry body, peak tourism body, I should say, and that role in infrastructure and investment led to your role as the marketing manager there, I believe. Yeah, I, I was always told by um, the then CEO that infrastructure and investment was like the bricks and mortar of the tourism industry. But there was part of me that loved communication and I really wanted to get into the communications area. And I think the transfer project was a project at Melbourne Airport where I was working on sort of the infrastructure but merging into the marketing and I eventually got into the marketing area and started working on all the major events and looking at the cooperative marketing interstate of those. You told me off at Melbourne Comedy Festival. Did you get free tickets? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? It, it's the working with the events in those days was was really really um, incredible because it was it was a heyday for events. And I think Comedy Festival actually was one of my favourites. Mm. Um, particularly the uh, raw comedy where it would be young comedians from all over Australia and indeed the world. And so it was great to be part of it. And dare I say, some of those people have gone on to bigger and and not better things, but bigger things. Um, that must have been. In very early days for the Melbourne Grand Prix, I'm guessing, late 90s? The, the Grand Prix had been around um, for a few years, but uh, I think that Victoria, of course, snavelled it from South Australia, but really did a great job in creating uh, both inside the track and outside the track the sorts of things that you could do to make sure that you could extend the stay. Mm. So they were exciting times. Exciting times. And you were there for uh, another four or five years through to the early 2000s. So what was the takeaway from that role? I think I felt like it was such a privilege to work for the state and be involved in working with major events and seeing the potential that they had in really elevating Victoria. As it's said, and it's an old saying, we're not the Great Barrier Reef or Ayers Rock. We really needed to create something that was really quite special. And I think to work on those events really saw uh, the value of how they could deliver tourism. And not just metropolitan Melbourne, of course, but Victoria broadly. Absolutely, across across the state. Yeah. I'm really interested, and I'm sure our listeners will be interested in this next stage of your career where you were the CEO of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival for forever, just about. I loved it so much, Ian, I couldn't leave. So <laughs> it was about a 14-year innings. Um, I was having too much fun. It does sound like a, uh, a, a pretty good gig, doesn't it, putting together a festival for food and wine? It wasn't just one festival. I know there were other things. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I think we would describe Melbourne Food and Wine Festival as putting a spotlight on the hospitality sector across the entire state. For 10 or 14 days every year so what we really tried to do was work with industry to make sure each of those experience was 
was something that they would not experience ordinarily. And I guess what we did is really tried to make the industry quite competitive. So we had, you know, French chefs bringing over their mothers and their cousins, and we had winemakers that were in other continents coming together. And it really was an extraordinary time. And we also say that food and wine in Australia was sort of in parallel blossoming and becoming quite a um, uh, an incredible proposition, even compared to cuisines like New York and London. So Natalie, when you started as the CEO of Melbourne Food and Wine Events and the Food and Wine Festival, that was a pretty much a fledgling event. 14 years later, you'd grown it to a, a massive thing. How did that happen? It, look, I think Melbourne Food and Wine Festival was really uh, a, a result of being at the right place at the right time. I think that Melbourne Food and Wine Festival was a was a... I guess a grassroots festival and that it was paralleling and mirroring what industry were doing. So many Australian chefs, Victorian chefs had been overseas and learnt so many incredible skills and they brought this back and I think at the same time we were really reaching out to our migrant communities, we were understanding produce, we were understanding the diversity of food and I think all of those things were happening at the one time. It was a wonderful opportunity for Melbourne Food and Wine to blossom. We were really short on resources, and I guess what we proved is it wasn't about how much money you had. It was about how we could lure some of the great winemakers of the world and great chefs by offering them not big, massive fees, but in fact, a wonderful time in Melbourne. And that's what we did. We mm. went to the airport in taxis and cars to collect chefs at any time of day that we, they arrived. We made sure that they had their favorite things with them. If we had a chef from New York who liked donuts, we went and selected the best six donuts around Melbourne. We really made sure that whilst we didn't have those fees, that we were known as a destination that took care of our visitors when we were there. And in fact, Ian, we had a we had a chef um, in the early days, Paco Guzman from, from um, Portugal. He ended up going home and sending a list of seven other top chefs in Portugal that would love to be at Melbourne Food and Wine. So the word got around. Mm, and that's a bit of a takeaway. It's a uh, you know, wonderful endorsement if you look after your clients, your guests, your uh, talent i suppose then that will pay dividends and come back to you you must have met some amazing people in that time oh ian the most extraordinary people and i think from places that you that you do expect like london and new york and spain but also from some parts of the world that are you know Egypt and Turkey and the Middle East and we had not only chefs but we had you know we had a dairy farmer uh, from from Wales we had uh, we had coffee growers from South America we had the gypsy brewer from Denmark uh, the variety of people that were right across the production sector from beer makers to brewers etc was an incredible time so not only the people, but I do have to brag about the food that I've tried and the wine that I've tasted. Mm. And um, it's still a privilege. And I think the, the thing was that I never, ever took it for granted when you would have this opportunity to eat new food. Well, I guess you were there for 14 years. You obviously enjoyed the job and weren't too keen to move on. But there must have come a point in time where you were looking for 
a new challenge, a new direction, a new role, whatever that meant in your life. And you've moved from there uh, onto setting up your own consulting firm, Natalie O'Brien, which is where we've come in contact over the, the, the last 12 months or so. So that's a little bit of a change I would have thought. I think it's interesting because my time at Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, I felt that uh, we were really had the opportunity to experiment and explore food, wine and events in a really exciting time in Melbourne. And, and I guess I finished in 2017 when it happened to be the 25th anniversary of Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. But also the world's 50 best chefs had arrived in Melbourne and we collaborated with some of those chefs and I thought this is a great swan song for me and I I guess in my mind I thought well what's the next thing after this there couldn't be another better more challenging role than this so I guess the next step for me was to set up my own business to be an entrepreneur and it was something that I hadn't tried and I think that to work in another organization after directing your own journey at Melbourne Food and Wine would have been hard so Mm. I set up my own business and my business is really about looking at experiences and working with the sectors that I love, food, wine, hospitality and events, and working with businesses to help them make sure that the experiences and the touch points across all of their business are actually the best possible ones that they can have. So while you were going through that process, was there a sense of uh, trepidation? Was there a sense of fear of, of, I won't say fear of failure, but um, I speak to people that strike out in business for themselves regularly. What were you thinking? Oh, absolutely, stage? Ian. I didn't think, I thought my time at Melbourne Food and Wine was really challenging. I was always trying to raise funds and I, I thought, how could setting up your own business be really challenging? It's probably one of the toughest things that I've done. And I think the things from having to teach myself to do myob, to teach to to get um, insurances, to set up systems, to get a website. How do you get a website when you haven't got the money to get an agency to do it? So I have a new healthy respect for people who run their own businesses because there is a lot of risk taking and a lot of uh, checking and 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 asking yourself, are you doing the right thing? And I'm now up to two and a half years. And were there moments in that time that I thought that I can't do it? Absolutely, yes. And also, I think that I've taken that time to actually work out what is my offering. And, and I'm not a consultant with 30 years background, but I am a person who's actually been in the trenches on the front line, have worked in family businesses. My husband's a restaurateur. So I think what I bring is the reality of what actually happens when rubber hits the road. And when people say, what is your methodology? My methodology is actually delivering a result for the business. And Mm. so it's been challenging, but I love it. Look, you've got a tremendous amount of experience and uh, and that's, of course, led you to your current... um, well, one of your current roles, one of your current clients, I suppose you would say, Ballarat Regional Tourism. And uh, and Ballarat, what is the thing about Ballarat that resonates with you? Look, in the short time that I've been in Ballarat, I have this incredible connection. And I think there's a number of things. It, it's got so much depth of history and then also this 
young contemporary and I think that it's going to go through a really exciting time and it's just a delight to be part of it. Some of the things that I personally love about Ballarat and I guess in terms of customers and destinations it really comes down to what do you as a person really like and enjoy and I love driving into Ballarat and seeing the beautiful planter boxes whatever time of season that you come into Ballarat they're there to greet you and for me the botanic gardens whether they're here in Ballarat or Buninyong are a really beautiful uh, opportunity for people to sort of explore with nature because I'm a foodie and I'm not going to lie is that I love having coffee in different venues and I think one of the things about Ballarat is this incredible architecture and behind these beautiful buildings and spaces are really great places for coffee and tomorrow I'm looking forward to going to Johnny Alou because I've not been there but some of my other hot spots have been um, Lola at the Provincial, the Hydrant, Fika, Cateltis at the Art Gallery, each of these great coffee but even more importantly this great ambience and this beautiful space to be in and in fact today my coffee was at Craig's which again is another incredible icon for Ballarat. Wonderful, a wonderful institution in Ballarat. If those walls could talk in uh, Craig's Hotel they would have a few stories to tell but I think for our listeners out there um, the thing that I would take away from that is yes Ballarat's always had the history and the gold rush and Sovereign Hill pays great respect to that a beautiful architecture in Lydiard Street South I think it is one of the very few places in Australia with five or six or seven heritage buildings um, from the Victorian period lined up so uh, we've always had that but there has been an emerging hasn't it of the food and beverage scene in Ballarat absolutely and I think that's this incredible vibrancy that that happens whether it's the temple bar or grounded pleasures with its beautiful hot chocolate production that it does is or Mitchell Harris it's these buildings that inside all of this um, incredible vibrancy and new things are happening um, and one of the things that I think is also an interesting observation is how more beautiful the sunsets and sunrises are in Ballarat and I've experienced them having wine at Mitchell Harris but I also when I'm back home at my home is looking at the beautiful Instagram shots of these exquisite sunsets is that something that's just special for Ballarat? Well of course we'd say it, it is <laughs> wouldn't we? I think um that's an interesting point you make the beautiful history and character and they've almost had a new life breathed into them with some of these amazing um, entrepreneurial business people that we have in Ballarat and I think the uh, the food and beverage side of things and certainly the art side as well has really emerged so Ballarat pays um, respect to the history but there's also got a wonderful new modern edge to it as well which people may or may not appreciate until they get in their car or drive up the highway and come and visit us. Absolutely and I think Ian um, bit by bit the more time I spend in Ballarat is this opportunity to understand the stories that are behind so many things. The other day I met the chair of the National Trust who passed me her business card and on it it had a little pair of slippers that were apparently slippers from Ballarat in, in the gold rush and so there's a there's a beautiful historic homestead not far from here that apparently had a very glamorous history of parties and entertaining and I think it's those rich stories every time I come I hear another new piece of information uh, 
is is incredibly endearing to Ballarat. I'm talking with Natalie O'Brien, the CEO of Ballarat Regional Tourism. Natalie, I've heard you talk about the product offering, the tourism product offer. Um, my background's been in hospitality pretty much my whole career, and I've always talked about um, the offer that hospitality makes, not just the meal on the plate, but the service that goes with it, the right mood lighting, the right music playing in the background, the the whole package, if you will. How does that translate into a product that Ballarat has to offer? Yeah, I think, Ian, it's really interesting. Obviously, we are moving into the recovery phase and the hospitality and tourism sector needs to come out the other side. And I think for Ballarat and for all businesses across the state, it's really about that opportunity to step back from the business and exactly what you said is put yourself in the shoes of customers to say, is every touch tone of that experience as as good as it can be? What are the pain points? What are the bits that are frustrating? The grumpy guy at front desk or the guy that's the barista or in fact the girl that's the barista that's that's there what are the bits that don't connect with the customers and I think first thing this is the time that we need to make sure that every part of the experience is the strongest it can be and I also think this is a very very important time to be collaborative so I think for Ballarat that's really key. So does that include things like ease of transportation to get to Ballarat, good accommodation when you get here, good signage to get around the town nicely, clearly great places to go for coffee or to, to uh, have a lunch or an evening meal or go to the, the bar for a drink? That's all part of it? Attractions? Absolutely, yeah. And I think the more that industry can work together to actually... Uh, put that together in an easy accessible way so somebody sitting in Metro Melbourne which will be the first wave of visitors can actually understand how easily they can construct something that a local would do ordinarily mm. this is the place that I have coffee that's the place that maybe I don't this is the park that I walk in because it's got beautiful ambience so absolutely how do we share what people in Ballarat know as a wonderful experience and make it easy for a visitor to do the same thing so there's no doubt there's plenty to do in Ballarat and we've got a lot to offer. How in your role with Ballarat Regional Tourism do you hope to influence visitation? Absolutely. The first wave of visitation that we'll be focusing on is the visiting friends and relatives. So that's reaching out to the Ballarat community to encourage family and friends to come back because they're the most important audience to get used to this, this new environment that we have. The second wave of visitation is going to be visitation from inside of Victoria, given we have closed borders. And so that's really the opportunity to connect people back to Ballarat with the sorts of experiences that would resonate with them. There's also this other opportunity in terms of the number of Victorians that would normally go offshore and they're quite significant numbers is how do we present experiences that we're able to capture that new audience and I think the thing is we need to be really ready to act very nimbly and fast when the state encourages people to very very actively visit around the state. Yeah look I read somewhere that visitation overnight visitation day trips to Ballarat was something like 85-90% of it intrastate that is coming from within Victoria um, I won't say we're in the post-COVID world at the moment, we're in the mid-COVID
post-COVID world, aren't we? We're still uh, looking for a way out of all of this, but surely every region, every regional town in Victoria is going to be scrambling for those visitors. What can Ballarat do to set themselves apart? What's our unique selling proposition, our, our point of difference, if you will? Absolutely. I think, Ian, it's absolutely going to be the most competitive time that we've seen across the state. So we will have regions uh, scrambling to get into the marketplace. I think this is the time that we really need to focus on what are the DNA and strengths of Ballarat and really stick with those authentic experiences. I think that that will work in the short term, but also be a really important longer term play in terms of the sorts of things that creative city and and architecture and the family market and the wonderful variety of attractions that are there for family the hospitality that we've spoken about the bars the beautiful boutique accommodation offerings across all ranges so we really need to stick with our knitting and stick with the strengths of Ballarat but make sure I think the only thing that I would add is that we need to make sure that that product is presented in a way that the customer in Melbourne in the first phase actually understands it and there's a saying that's going around is pick it wrap it buy it is let's make sure that we package it up in a way that's easy to buy. Natalie you've had a long long career in tourism um, I know that you continue to put back at Victoria University your old alma mater and you participate in some sort of mentoring program tell me just a little bit about that how you how are you contributing back to young people just getting a start yeah i think ian in my early days i was lucky enough to have many people around me <coughs> who gave me the opportunity to be in meetings or positions or present and so i've always been very grateful for that and so as somebody who has been around for some time now I think it's incredibly important to make sure that other young people have those sorts of opportunities. So there is a scholarship back at Victoria University, my, own, my old university, that we get to meet lots of the young students and, and allow them opportunities in industry. I often meet with those people uh, for them to connect with other people in the industry. I also sit on a curriculum board for Victoria University and also sit on a skills board for William Anglis. So for me, the industry that I'm interested in taking care of and making sure young people have the opportunity to come up is hospitality and tourism. And so I think it's incredibly important that we allow younger people to be part of the conversation because we'll get much better results and greater diversity around the decision-making table. You're certainly contributing back. If I was a young person, uh, which I'm not as young as I used to be, but if I was a young person sitting in front of you looking to make a start in tourism, say, what would be the one bit of advice you'd, you'd give me? You know, really interesting, and it's, you know, you're sort of giving people advice, but I think the thing is that what worked for me personally was that I would often stretch outside the role responsibility and out of that came huge opportunity. So as I said earlier, you know, carrying the, the old bag around with or trolley around with brochures kind of felt pretty mundane but at the same time when you really took every opportunity of every role volunteer where you can step up to be to speak 
be on a committee, etc. I would take every opportunity you can because you just never know. You may be sitting with the managing director of the major event or the tourism body that you would really like to connect with. So don't miss those opportunities. It's interesting when you talk to people, that's a sort of common denominator. You just never know where things are going to lead to. And uh, it's just a matter of taking those opportunities and see them, see where it leads you to. Absolutely. On the flip side of that, what would be your advice uh, of something they, sh- they shouldn't do? I think for me, I would say, don't be someone you're not. Always back yourself and do what feels right for you. And I think, Ian, goodness me, at the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, there were so many decisions and things that might not have gone quite right. But owning it, and would I do it again, I feel like, well, it was a lesson that I learned and I wouldn't take that away. But, you know, be who you are and stick close to the person you are. Yeah, good advice. I was told as a very young young man starting out in business two things uh, one was be the best version of yourself not the poorest version of someone else and the second thing was if you're true to yourself and you fail then at least you know it was you you're doing you know you weren't trying to imitate somebody else so uh, those would be consistent things to take away I guess another thing you could pass on to be prepared in life absolutely but sometimes things don't go always to plan and you've got to be prepared to move quickly to fix that. Is that something you'd agree with? (laughs) Ian, running a festival for 14 years, there were so much planning in place to every inch at every life. But when you're dealing with animals, chefs and baristas, many things can go wrong. And I, I, you know, I recall losing chefs in airports with, with visas. I do remember a quick run to Chinatown to get a fish to be served on a menu and a taxi as we were coming down. I remember myself running in and out of freezers to try and find tofu for a, a visiting chef, a chef that went AWOL because he had been to too many nightclubs in Melbourne mm. and uh, we were able to get him. So uh, you can be very well planned, but quite often you the show goes on, but you are doing a lot of dancing in the background to make it happen. Interesting analogy that the show goes on because I've always, often said to people, hospitality is like theatre you know you're in food and beverage you've got to be a bit artistic and a bit extroverted <laughs> so uh, good anecdotes there well natalie we're going to wrap it up there i've really enjoyed our conversation um you're a wonderful asset to have for the good people of ballarat even though you're a melbournean or even worse a geelong cats supporter <laughs> but a wonderful asset to the city of ballarat and uh the people of ballarat so thank you very much for joining me this afternoon Thank you, and I'm so looking forward to exploring more of Ballarat and um, understanding more of those stories. Well, keep listening to My Town Ballarat, and in the coming weeks we'll be talking to some uh, interesting characters from the tourism and hospitality industries, and you will hear more of those stories. So until then, thank you all for listening, and we will look forward to talking to you soon. Well, that's four episodes done and dusted, and I do hope you are enjoying hearing from my guests. As a special treat next week, we're going to drop a double header and post two episodes for the price of one. First, we're going to hear from Tim Matthews, who owns and operates the Forge Pizzeria in both Armstrong Street 
in the city and in Alfreton and more recently Bakery 1816 which is also in Armstrong Street. Tim's background in marketing has seen him work with some big brands both locally and overseas and his experience there has been instrumental in the success he's achieved in both his own business and in supporting the tourism economy for the city of Ballarat. Then we're going to double down and speak with John Harris from Mitchell Harris Wine Bar, which has become a Ballarat icon over the past few years and a must visit for those of you traveling to our beautiful city. Like Tim, John's career as a winemaker has seen him travel to work in some really interesting parts of the world and Ballarat has no doubt benefited from those experiences as John, along with his in-laws, the Mitchell family, have taken an old building in Doveton Street and transformed it into one of Ballarat's premier food and beverage venues. So next week, if you like your food and wine, you will not be disappointed. Two great interviews for the price of one. Where else can you get value like that? I do hope you can join us again next week on Our Town Ballarat. And as always, we'll look forward to seeing you in Ballarat soon.